In this episode, we speak with Jack Coco, CEO and founder of AlphaSense, a market intelligence platform used by the world's leading companies and financial institutions. AlphaSense is trusted by over 1,600 enterprise customers, including a majority of the S&P 100. The company is backed by Goldman Sachs, Viking Global, Morgan Stanley, and many other notable investors. Before AlphaSense, Jack was the founding CEO of Silex, building the company into a global supplier of advanced materials, improving the performance of billions of semiconductor devices used in mass market electronics. I'm your host, RJ Lumba. We hope you enjoy the show. Jack, thank you so much for taking the time. It's a delight to chat with you today. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So where I'd like to start off is AlphaSense, talking about what the, the platform provides. I took a spin through one of your intro videos, and it looks like such a powerful way to get very specific information about companies. Tell us about the genesis of the technology, how you came up with it, and then let's go into like just that, that power behind it. Yeah, this really started from my first job out of college at an investment bank as an analyst, working these incredibly long days and nights and weekends, you know, gathering information, helping clients do M&A deals and kind of evaluate companies, their strategies, their valuations and, and plans. And I realized very frustratingly how hard it was to find all this information at the speed and precision that was needed and always felt really nervous walking into a client board meeting and fearing like what I might be missing because I couldn't possibly have collected enough information. I, I could have missed something really critical because it was so manual to find this information with kind of legacy solutions and legacy tools. And you know, Morgan Stanley gave us the best sets of tools that money could buy, but still it, it was very basic in terms of what you could really you couldn't search across these vast volumes of documents. You'd have to really do control F search one document at a time in PDFs, one keyword at a time. And, and shockingly, that still exists and goes on today. But we are trying to trying hard to, to change that and upgrade that research process. And what we really decided with my co-founder that they, you know, was, was that there's a big problem and kind of the traditional solutions and, and providers aren't really trying to solve this. You, you had sort of Google and others solving this for all of us in a magnificent way for as consumers. You know, searching across you know, vast volumes of information on the internet, but nobody was reviewing this for business information, for all the kind of thousands of sources of proprietary information that you'd really have to subscribe to, go log into portals one at a time and kind of figure out where to even get started before, before you could start, start looking for what you needed. So we decided that it was, you know, this was going to be really hard, but uh, it was going to be possible to, to bring this all together and then bring AI to bear machine learning, natural language processing to take all these thousands of sources, millions of documents, billions of data points kind of in that kind of massive amount of data and understand it based, based on algorithms, based on AI to re- almost read textual documents like a human would read, but do it with algorithms so that we then build a really smart search engine that searches sort of like a, a B2B Google mm-hmm. across all these information sources. And then gives you just the information you need precisely, quickly, reliably, so that you can really do your job light years better than, than you know, the way it was being done before. Mm-hmm. 
And and the information sources that the technology is drawing on is this is this a combination of publicly available as as well as private subscriptions? Yeah, it, it is really a combination of both. Starting from kind of publicly available company disclosures, filings. You know, you go to the SEC's website to get a lot of information, and you could go to kind of all kinds of news sites. You could search on the web. You could go to companies. Um, invest relations sites. You could go to you know your kind of data terminal if you're a financial investor, and lots of other places. And, and you know some of these are proprietary, some are are public. And problem is that it's all been fragmented, and you you know log into all these different places, and then hopefully find part of what you need, but you were never able to really go across everything, and and then apply to a consistent intelligence search technology on top of it. Mm-hmm. So, given that this uh, the problem you solved emanated from investment banking, are you now used by most or all of the investment banks? I haven't counted who is not, but certainly most. Yeah, that that's it's a personal delight and quest to get all, all the investment banks among everybody else to to use this and sort of go and help all the future generations of uh, analysts and financial professionals among kind of other business professionals to really help them have a better life and do higher quality work. <laughs> right. Right. And is there, is there anything that, uh, given the power of the technology, was there a use case that you maybe surprised you where the technology or you had a client that was using it in a particular way? You know, I, I just imagine this has many use cases. Yeah, there certainly have been you know, some that have been surprising. I, I think the main positive surprise was that this was so relevant across not just financial types of users in kind of investment funds and investment banks and others where we started. We always thought that we're going to have a corporate clientele as well, but it turned out that that was a really huge use case and, and opportunity. And there were so many different types of people inside corporations that needed better information about their competitors and their suppliers, customers, partners, ecosystems that they operate in and launch products. And they needed to estimate the sizes of those markets and kind of understand competitive dynamics even you know ahead of time. And, and so, so there was a lot of, lot that was surprising. That was it was a little bit of a blind spot, but a very positive surprise as we started to really learn how directly applicable the same solution was really across financial professionals and just business professionals of many types. Mm-hmm. Looking back to earlier in your career when you're an analyst at, at Morgan Stanley, back then, did you ever think that one day you'd be raising hundreds of millions of dollars from names like Goldman Sachs and Soros and, and, and the major financial institutions? I will, uh, I will have to admit that, that never crossed my mind. But I, I, did, I, I just didn't think about it that far. Um, I, I just had this aspiration in my mind. Uh, I actually convinced Morgan Stanley to move me from London to Silicon Valley to work with tech companies with you know, really the motive of finding a tech company to jump into so that I can then find somebody else to found a company with. And so I, I had that aspiration, but I really didn't understand what it would entail and how much money I would have to raise or from whom, or you know, the idea was just to become a tech entrepreneur. And, and I had this sort of non-traditional way of getting there through, through this sort of financial career where, where I got started. Mm-hmm. And, and what was the, uh, it looks like you've been involved in a number of entrepreneurial Pursuits. Can you tell us a little bit about some of these other companies? Yeah, absolutely. First was really something that just like opportunistically you know, popped up during a time when uh, the semiconductor industry was really trying to 
improve the performance of chips with new materials. And somebody I knew from university was PhD focusing on this performance materials that help semiconductor chips operate with less capacitance, which meant, meant you know, faster power, less power consumption. And you know, that sounded like a great idea. Turned out that it was just a really hard thing to do, really hard technology, basically manipulating molecules. Today, I'm just super excited to be working with software code as opposed to molecules. But back then, that was the frustration of like, you know, just the, the timescales of making that technology work were so much harder. You had to convince these big semiconductor fabs to buy from you as a, as a small startup and you know, just think about how risk-averse they were. And it was a miracle that they would ever do it. Like, you know, knowing what I know now, I've never tried it, but we, we succeeded because we were naive enough to think that it would work. But you know, that wasn't by any means a, a, a great financial success. It was just a great learning experience. And you know, that after that, I actually started AlphaSense, but on the side also helped a friend start a, a company. You know, another type of search engine for doctors it was called Better Doctor. And you know, we felt that there was a big problem in helping. We personally had this problem, and I'm sure millions of others had the same problem of sort of finding a good doctor for some specialized need. And you needed to have, find, find one that had good reviews and you didn't know where to start. And so we built a search engine that would index all of doctors in the US and kind of all the reviews about them, aggregate all of this together. You know, that was a bit of, bit of a better success. We ultimately ended up selling the company. So the AlphaSense was my personal calling. It's more sort of going to solve this problem that I've, I've experienced myself so viscerally and, and that analyst job. So, so this is still like my, yeah, absolutely my, my favorite one. Right. Well, when you think of uh, AlphaSense as, as a, a B2B Google, it frames it in this light of a massive market, immense market, which is probably why you're attracting the investors you are attracting. Now let's switch over to investors. One thing we love to talk about is how investors have helped you beyond financial capital. There's probably some anecdotes you could share with us or maybe how you went about selecting your investors. So would love to hear about the value that's been provided to you by some of your investors beyond financial capital. Maybe I'll just start from kind of the latest round to working back. We had the fortunate opportunity to really pick the kinds of investors in our Series C that could best help the company at this stage. Kind of crossover investors to think about investments in terms of, can this company go public? Can they be a really large company one day? Can we help them in that process? And so we wanted to find an investor like that. And that's kind of what, what led us to Viking Global as our lead investor for the last round. And, and then also the growth investment arms of, of Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, City. Barclays and, and um, others with the idea of both kind of they understand the markets, of course, and kind of understand this path that we need to go on. But they also are partners that we work with. They provide content to the company. And so it was kind of a combination of a strategic investment and a sadly late stage investor. And getting so many of them to become investors in us, uh, I think really created this beautiful partnership where they are partners, they're customers, they're investors that benefit from the equity upside that they get as they help the company succeed. So that took a lot of effort to put mm-hmm. together, but it, uh, you know, that, that's been certainly incredibly valuable already. You know, not just because of the advice that we get from all these experienced uh, smart investors, but also just uh, in, in how they're able to now help us navigate their organizations internally and put us in touch with the right people both internally and externally. So that has been incredibly valuable. 
And it, you know, I guess if I go back in time to our Series B two or three years ago, that was led by Innovation Endeavors, uh, Eric Schmidt's fund. And yeah, they've been certainly absolutely at the top of kind of investors that have been able to add value. And obviously, the idea of a B2B Google backed by Eric Schmidt sort of uh, resonated greatly. And, uh, and he's really been incredibly helpful in just uh, helping with various partners, customers, and, and just incredible advice. And then you know, his, his firm just has been kind of so innovative and helping with business in, in so many ways. So, so those would be probably some of the key ones. Tribeca Venture Partners was an amazing Series A investor alongside Soros you know, fund management. So it was always sort of trying to find a combination of venture capital investors that look at how to build a successful growth company and then people that play in the financial sphere where they could actually help us beyond the capital. That's turned out to be a really nice combination. Mm-hmm. Kind of a semi-strategic investor that understands kind of different aspects of your growth journey and, and that's worked out really well for us. How do you think about sizing this market? I mean, it's basically any company that wants to know about more about their market or about the competitors in their market, which is immense. So how do you, how do you go about sizing the market? As you said, it's, it's almost any company. It's any company with a degree of complexity and scale to their business where they need to understand you know, their competitive landscape, perhaps in different geographies, different market segments understand what regulators are, are doing in, in your market and really all kinds of businesses. And, and so, you know, basically there are hundreds of thousands of companies, at least maybe millions of companies that, that ultimately should be using something like our, our platform and, and many millions of people. I mean, people talk about sort of knowledge workers as, as this massive billion person category in the world. We only have to get to a small fraction of that, that really need this kind of information for us to be a really really, really successful company. So that's how we, we look at it. Ultimately, how many, how many people can we reach you know, across vast numbers of companies out there? And you know, we're getting well on our way. We're kind of used by half of the S&P 500 and like really you know, large numbers of great companies, but, but there's still so much way to go and, and getting beyond kind of foot in the door and really expanding and being used by... You know, ultimately, I, I'd like to see everybody using, using our product, certainly. That's what keeps driving us in, in kind of building this every day. Now, you founded the company back in, in 2008. And when someone f- founds a company, a tech company, they expect the hockey stick. Did, did revenue ramp the way you anticipated? And, you know, or did that happen at a certain time frame, certain year where it really started to take hold? It, it really has been, uh, as you identified, a long, long time. We actually you know, spent... 2008 is when my co-founder and I graduated from uh, our MBA program where we met and decided we'd do something together and started sort of dabbling and doing market research and really trying to figure out, do we have the right problem in mind? And it was 2011 when we had kind of built the basic technology and proven out that we can get this going. We can kind of put a minimum viable product into the market and start testing if we can, if we can start growing this. But it's still, you know, even from that date, it's, it's a decade now. And uh, it's incredibly long. You, you always hear about these overnight success stories. Most of the time, they are actually not that different. That it, it actually took uh, took a decade to be an overnight success, and most of the time, it takes a really long long time to, to build 
value. And, you know, we just, I guess, fortunately now are beyond the point where kind of the early stage viability is proven and scalability is proven. Now it's all about execution. So now it's actually, you know, keeps on being really fun. Now it's just the fun is about how do you scale this as quickly as possible? A couple of questions I like to, to end with. One is, can you tell us about a book that has had a profound impact on you? And if that's not readily available in your, your memory banks, you could also just provide a book recommendation. So many books. Maybe I'll mention the last one that I was reading, uh, Frank Slootman's CEO of um, Snowflake. Yeah, one of these sort of inspirational companies that have, have had this incredible success. And so I wanted to really hear, you know, read how he's approached growing com- multiple companies really at these incredible rates. And uh, you know, the book is called Amp It Up. I certainly would, would recommend it. Excellent. Last question, and it may relate to the answer you just provided, but can you tell us about a, a leader that you think has like very good attributes and some that you recall and, and try to draw on from time to time? Well, my inspiration really comes from both you know, leaders close at home. I, I saw my dad starting a biotech company in my teenage years and kind of mid-career and saw how hard that was to build and in Europe where you really you know, had almost no investors that really understood that space. And so it was, it was really inspiring to see like, somebody going after that with the belief that it still can be done. That was the closest to home. And then, yeah, I guess I would have to, my inspiration really comes from kind of the iconic tech leaders. It's almost a bit of a cliche, uh, but, but you look at how, how there are certain people in the world that have just imagined products that we all needed, but nobody knew they needed, and suddenly built things like smartphones with user experience that a one-year-old can use, or, or Elon Musk decides to take on NASA in their own game and win, and by the way, does, you know, disrupts a bunch of other spaces. It's sort of those kinds of iconic stories that get you up every morning thinking about like, okay, well, you can have world-changing impact if you just uh, like, uh, you know, set your ambition high. Well, that's, that's a great uh, note to end on. And we're just about up on time. Thank you so much for taking the time to, to share your insights with us, Jack. I know our audience will find this very helpful. Thank you, RJ. Thanks for having me. Thank you.